podcast is for investment professionals only. The value of investments will fluctuate, which will cause prices to fall as well as rise, and investors may not get back the original amount they invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information and views expressed should not be taken as a recommendation, advice, or forecast. Hello, and welcome to the Investment Podcast. My name is Alexia Sava, and I'm a Responsible Investment Associate at InfraCapital, the private infrastructure equity arm of M&G PLC. I'm joined here today by Stephen Nelson, Asset Management Managing Director, with over 35 years of infrastructure commercial and board experience. Today, we'll be speaking to the global themes that are reshaping the nature of essential modern infrastructure in Europe. Stephen, we're experiencing increasingly fiscally constrained governments and corporates, exacerbated by COVID-19. At the same time, the current imbalance of supply versus demand in the European essential infrastructure market is vast, and the sizable investment need is driven by macro trends such as the decarbonisation agenda, the need to build back better, and digitalisation, to name a few. Additionally, we're experiencing greater momentum and traction from investors and society at large across a wide range of ESG matters, from the climate crisis to diversity and inclusion, and countries are regulating more heavily in this area. What are your views on how the macro environment is affecting the infrastructure space? Uh, thanks, Alexia. Look, there's some really big ticket stuff there. Um, we're also just talking after the IPCC report, which basically says that if we're not careful as uh, as a planet, we're on the brink of catastrophe. But the reason I just wanted to start with that was in a way to set it aside, because I actually think we're um, on the cusp of a golden age in infrastructure, which might sound a bit rich given the, the point about climate, but I'll explain why. Um, look, there have been other golden ages in infrastructure. The Victorians had one, sewers, water, roads. Roosevelt had one in the uh, 30s after the Depression with the civil works um, uh, uh, agreements that he he pushed through. There was uh, also a large post-war, Second World War reconstruction. So why do I think we're coming into a new era for infrastructure? Well, let me just give you four reasons. Um, I'm sure there are many, but I think that there are four from a high level. And the first has to do with politics. The Biden bill, which is now worth a, a trillion dollars uh, as a stimulus for infrastructure, has just passed through the Senate. That means both the Republicans and the Democrats, praise be, see why infrastructure is important. And we expect this to go through the House of Representatives later on in the year. Uh, and a lot of that one trillion is going to be spent on hard stuff, roads, bridges, you know, electric vehicle charging stations um, and the electrification of school buses, broadband, power lines. It's very material. And I think the first point is that when governments make fiscal expansion around infrastructure real at this level, and when the, the leading economy in the world does it, I think it's a signal to markets. I think the second point is both economics and politics driven. And I think it relates to renewed confidence in supply side financing. That's what lockdown and COVID in one sense has done. You know, we recognize now that governments have a role in expansionary fiscal policy, pumping money into, um, the, into the economies and actually pumping a lot of money into infrastructure. I think the third is back to, dare I say, it, the future of humanity, and that's the decarbonization agenda. You know, infrastructure is going to be central. It's not the only answer, but it's going to be central to solutions for this uh, this terrible problem that we face. Obviously, there's the kind of renewable side, on and offshore, uh, wind and solar, but there's also uh, a big 
um, trend towards capture, carbon capture. That, so that's not reducing carbon dioxide, it's actually capturing the uh, carbon dioxide that's already there and, and ready to be reduced and uh, produced. Then there's obviously the you know, transition from fossil fuels to much more efficient uh, energy uh, production, transport and uh, telecoms. They've all got to play a role in the decarbonisation agenda. And then I think the fourth point, from an investment perspective, is about investment risk. Um, you know, there's a lot of discussion right now around the rise of inflation. We've had years of remarkably, remarkably low inflation and therefore remarkably low in interest rates in most advanced economies. Uh, there is, as I say, pressure and quite a lot of pressure. I won't go into all the reasons why as to uh, why interest rates uh, are likely to rise over the short to medium term. And part of the I think very interesting element here is the role of, at least in the UK, quantitative easing, uh, which is, as I think most people now know, the way in which the government has um, issued uh, or bought, basically, uh, a huge uh, volume of um, government bonds, as well as corporate bonds, now totaling close to about 900 billion. Uh, what's the point of raising that in, 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 in regard to investment risk? Well, interestingly, the issuance of those uh, bonds uh, through uh, the um, asset purchase facility, so uh, the issuance and the purchase of those bonds, actually leads to a shortening of the maturity of the liabilities that the government sits on relative to all gilts markets. And the fact is that if interest rates start rising, then the impact of, of the QE purchases, which the government has made, partly to finance COVID, uh, will be felt at a more rapid rate than the uh, interest rate pressures exerted through uh, uh, the non-QE um, gilt market. Now, that might all sound a little bit technical, but for investors, it means what? It means like, that likely with the rise of inflation, the rise of interest rates, and the acceleration and impact that QE will have on interest rates, that infrastructure is likely to become increasingly a really good defensive asset class. Thanks, Stephen. And I think there's, there's some interesting topics there to, to, to unpack. Um, you, you touched upon the decarbonisation agenda, clearly it being mission critical and some of the, the, the new and nascent sectors that are coming out to play there, coupled with yeah. investors and their hunt for steady yields in the in the backdrop of the macroeconomic outlook. Yeah. How, how would you define the risk and return profile for you know, both the kind of new infrastructure and some of the sectors that you touched upon, but also existing infrastructure? And how is this being shaped by, by that macroeconomic yeah, it's, it's it's really interesting, isn't it? I, I mean, look, this is just my personal view, but I think different. I think one way of thinking about it is, in, as a, an infrastructure investor, is for different classes of risk. So, just putting this kind of basically, I guess, there is a set of risks associated with technology and innovation, which investors have to take a very specific um, view on, um, primarily through technical advice and due diligence. What do I mean by that? If you're investing, as we do at Inver Capital and M&G, in, for example, uh, battery technology, firms which are developing battery technology, what you're having to weigh up is, okay, lithium batteries versus solid state batteries versus hydrogen. These are actually very important to your 
five, 10 and 15 year investment horizons because it's such a dynamic market. I think a second way of looking at risk is that those markets where you've already got kind of net, networked opportunities and where the demand is much more easy to, if you like, assess, but where a land grab and rolling out of those networks is the name of the game and carries a different kind of risk. What kind of markets? Broadband, classic. You know, we know that people are demanding much more uh, broadband with increasing video usage on and on and on. Uh, so it's not so much we can't see the demand, but how are you going to roll out and at what pace and at what cost? And are you going to get the sites which are going to be more uh, rather than less valuable? Another market which I happen to be involved in is electric vehicle charging. For example, we invest in EV charging in, in, in the Nordics, really dynamic market. So again, not in doubt, you can see government policies really moving consumers uh, towards electric vehicles by 2030, 35 and 2040. But how do you get the best sites? How do you get them at the right price? How do you get the right returns? And then the final, I think, class of risk that I think is really relevant is um, planning and regulation. Now, we shouldn't underestimate as investors the challenges of looking forward both on investment subsidies, which governments like to put forward in various jurisdictions for wind and solar, but also emerging technologies such as tidal. You have to take a long-term view. You have to weigh up and make judge investment judgments um, around not only subsidy, but also on occasion, the risk of retrospective uh, re changes in regulation. You know, we, we as investors suffered that in, in, in the solar market in Spain. So innovation technology, the, the, the networking of new assets, uh, new investment uh, assets and planning regulation, I think are kind of new classes of risk, or well, not new, but they're very dynamic classes of risk, which we need to think about. Yes, clearly there's an abundance of, of opportunities for kind of experienced infrastructure managers, but new risks that are that are emerging with um, macro trends as they develop. How are we also seeing capital markets support and drive some of these key yeah. macro themes? Yeah, basically, how's this all getting paid for? <laughs> good question. Look, I think we've got really good grounds to be optimistic. Again, taking the high ground on the way in which capital and capital markets can direct huge flows of money towards good outcomes, both in infrastructure and more specifically in the ESG space, which I'll, I'll talk about. I've mentioned QE, which is the UK central bank's approach to pumping money in, and a lot of that will be going into infrastructure. But we've got this ESG agenda, and I think many of us have started to hear about the green bond market. Actually, the green bond market is a subset of the wider market called the sort of sustainable bond market. And within that wider market, you've got social bonds, which is about you know, uh, affordable housing or microfinance. And you've got sustainability-linked bonds, which are a combination of green and social. But green bonds are specifically bonds uh, which are issued um, to purchasers uh, in order to, which specifically relates to environmental outcomes. Let's just start with the numbers around this bond market. Uh, by the end of 2019 into 2020, over a trillion dollars of um, sustainable bonds had already been issued. 
which I think is a very telling st statistic and a massive uh, recent acceleration. Uh, within the last 12 months, the estimate for the sustainable bond issuance is around 650 billion, of which thereabouts 50%, the 375 or so is green. So this is already a developed and significant market, roughly speaking, 5% of the of the total 130 trillion bond market. So 5%, so it's, you know, there's there's still some way to go, but it's growing and growing rapidly. Just let me clarify, a green bond, uh, Alexia, is, is a bond which in structure is very similar to a, a standard bond, but it comes with a non-binding commitment from the issuer that they will deliver environmental outcomes. And this is what makes it quite exciting. And we can talk about, you know, what those outcomes might be. Yes, and it's encouraging to see the the kind of growing levels of capital that are flowing into the to this space to to put money, I guess, into important um, environmental but also social issues to the wider sustainable financing. How do we avoid greenwashing this space? So you spoke to mm. kind of the non-binding nature of them. Clearly, in the private space, there are challenges in providing tangible evidence and data that prove the sustainability yeah. of business operations. What, what what are you seeing here? Yeah. Um, well, look, we should we should recognise that a lot of these bonds are actually quite regulatory light or covenant light. And um, as you say, it is a non-binding commitment. So that means that the, the emphasis put on verification by purchasers is, uh, is really high. And that, again, puts a real emphasis and, if you like, pressure on the importance of how the proceeds being used, you know, does the uh, does the issuer actually fall under something? I mean, it's a, it's a clunky word. Taxonomy, the taxonomy of a green company, uh, or, com or or a company uh, with green credentials, or an issuer with green credentials, and then uh, tracking, monitoring, and reporting. Uh, we as as M and G and InfraCapital are getting deeply involved in the importance of that. And that's at the, if you like, the working level, right up at the governmental level. We know, particularly in the EU, there's a lot going on in terms of EU directives around task forces on climate-related disclosure and non-financial disclosure. So perhaps boring as this sounds, this whole standardization is massively important to the proper functioning of a new bond market. Because what we don't want, nobody wants, frankly, uh, as a as an investor, uh, as a purchaser, and in, indeed as an issuer, uh, a, a market which is compromised by, as you say, greenwash. Yes, definitely. As as you speak to the kind of increasing regulation, traction from investors in, in this space is is requiring greater disclosures on data, which will provide greater transparency on ESG matters um, and how we begin to to document those. Of I mean, sorry to draw. I've got a, a maybe it's a slightly wild thought, but. <laughs> You know, I actually, I, I think that in, let's say, 10 years time, not five years time, data such as carbon dioxide generation will be second in importance in reporting terms, in sustainability statements and in investment decisions as P&L data. Uh, and it will become almost as standardized, if not as standardized as that, because of the climate uh, challenge that we have. I think it's that important. 
Yes, definitely. And if anything, the IPCC report has, has, has brought that further to light. Um, so we've spoken about the macro trends at play and, and what this means for the infrastructure industry. How does all of this play out on a real kind of day-to-day basis in the management of yeah. infrastructure assets? Well, I have, the, I have the great and fun job of working with companies in this space. Those are, these are the assets that uh, we invest in on behalf of pension funds, principally, and our, our limited partners. Um, and I think this is where it really gets real, to be honest. Uh, you have to, as a as a asset manager, you have first to say and clarify with the management teams who run these assets, okay, what's the mission here? What is at stake? Um, and what are the standards we require? And that's quite a nuanced debate because if you just took every aspect of, let's call it ESG, that you could and issued a 150, if not 200 page questionnaire and say, we want to be market leading in all of those elements, you'd be in la la land. You have to make choices. And how you make those choices, smart choices, how you scale those choices relative to the size of the business is actually a part of the skill. I mean, let me take, and this is a social one rather than environmental, diversity. Um, I'm associated with GigaClear, which is the, the leading rural uh, alt-net um, broadband provider in the UK, uh, which I chair. It's got about 450 people growing very rapidly. The diversity debates and, and targets and aspirations that we will have at that board are going to be very different from a solar business, which we also invest in, or several, uh, where you know there's, there's, a hard, there's a handful of people ma- managing the, uh, the solar panels. Um, so I think you've got to make some decisions there around what is the mission, what are the standards. I think the second thing you have to re- really pay attention to is, is, is soft skills, inspiring busy people to get with this agenda. That's not because people are resistant, but uh, people have very busy lives. We're all very busy. So there is a, an element of leadership. And one way to do that is commercial, is actually to show the data that ESG businesses, when they're run on solid ESG credentials, are better run businesses. And guess what? Better run businesses tend to be more valuable. Um, so there is a, an economic outcome from this. Uh, and I think also there's a financing one. There's emerging data around the creditworthiness of um, uh, companies, assets, where they have high SG credentials relative to those where the SG credentials are lower. I think the last thing, Alexia, is as an asset manager, we provide support. You know, for example, and I know you've been involved in this, we think, okay, Standardization is really important. So let's get a third party provider helping gather CO2 data on a standardized basis across all the assets. So then in a way, we take away that quite onerous task of collating the data and we get it on an important, importantly kind of like-for-like basis. So all of that nitty-gritty stuff is, is really important it's when the rubber hits the road, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. I think as we're transitioning from a rhetoric of very ambitious commitments to now being actually followed up and supported by action and, and, and data, setting that materiality of, of ESG factors is important. Well, thank you, Stephen, for um, sharing your insights on what was an interesting discussion, one that I guess we could speak about at, at length. Um, thank you also to the listeners of, of the investment podcast. 
And please do, do get in touch with InfraCapital and member GPLC as we're keen to carry on the discussion on this important topic. Yeah, thank you very much. This podcast is for investment professionals only. For further information, please view the notes which accompany this episode. Thank you.